If a report falls in the forest, does anyone see it? Why the Jesse Smollett case matters. How mad is the March Madness? All this and more on this episode of Three Season A Pod. Three Season A Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are Chris Savello and John Schofield, whom we thank you for joining us this week. For more of the Provision Conversation, follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or you can check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. All right, folks, let's jump right into Rearview Mirror. We're going to take a look back on the week we had and what dominated the news cycles, as we always do. Let's talk about what was good and maybe what wasn't so good. And let's go rapid fire. First up, gentlemen, and Chris, we'll start with you. The Mueller report. Is this the end of the discussion or are we just at the beginning? God, I hope it's the end, but I fear that it's not. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, the way the report or the information in the report was rolled out um, continues to be uh, unsatisfying to the news media and probably more importantly to the Democratic majority in the House. So I suspect that this will go on for a while, that there'll be hearings and that the information will uh, continue to mount beyond what the Attorney General sent over to the Congress. So I think we're going to see this leading the news cycle for several weeks. John? I don't think it's big enough. I think that the second that the report came out and it wasn't, holy cow, there was just mass lawlessness. This is immediately impeachable. The second that it required a little bit more deep dive, quote unquote, uh, by the by the public absorbing this information, I think they just lost the taste for it. Okay, so he can't get impeached. There's nothing really um, terribly headline making about this. Yawn. We're on to the next topic. That's how I kind of feel like the whole thing came out. So you think it'll fade away? I actually do. I, and that, that isn't to imply that I have some sort of apathy because I'm, I'm very much involved and, and reading up and listening up on this. And it, and it irks me. It irks me that, that the content of the report, which I obviously don't know, I only know the reporting on the four page summary. I don't know that anyone has seen the actual report. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, other than, well, yeah, other than Mueller himself and the team, but but yeah, it's it's just one of those things where, again, there's content in there where did we ever think we'd reach the point um, other than when uh, Clinton was president and, and they were going through the, the Lewinsky situation that we'd read the words, this does not exonerate him. He is the chief executive of the United States and the words does not exonerate him really, I think in the past would have stirred more of an uproar. And it was just like, oh, it doesn't exonerate him, but we can't impeach him. All right, Roger that. Let's move on. I kind of think it's going to go like that. You, you both make some, some very great points. The, the appetite for more information, I think, has been bubbling. Today's Wednesday that we're recording this show. Um, so the appetite uh, was maybe there in the first 48 hours. And John, like you said, I, I don't know how long uh, that appetite lasts. And and again, no one except for maybe um, Attorney General Barr and um, Prosecutor Mueller and, the, and his team have actually seen uh, the words on paper that constitute this report. So everything right now uh, is actually pure speculation in terms of reporting. 
uh, and that's troubling to me uh, as, as a professional communicator. Um, I don't want to speak for you all in terms of how you feel about that uh, pundits, newspapers, media uh, making or coming up with, with hypothesis and conclusion based on a report they haven't seen. That's, that's a scary place to be um, in our current times. Uh, any thoughts on that before we move on? I think you said it well, um, but I, I will just add, I thought it was um, both interesting and in extreme poor taste to see um, the spokesman from the White House, Sarah Sanders, tweet out uh, yesterday, I believe it was, um, or earlier in the week, mm -hmm. um, a uh, March Madness-like uh, bracket uh, about, you know, which pundit had got it the most wrong, or uh, I, I just thought, man, th this just, uh, instead of, you, you know, at, at last being dignified and trying to move the country forward, right, uh, right. you talk about salt in the wound. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's what grabbed my attention. L less about the speculation. I guess I'm just kind of used to that given the news cycle. But uh, I, I just was really, uh, really disappointed in the way the White House handled it. You, yeah. You've got fatigue. And, and I was incensed by it. And, and you're bringing it up. I, I was ready to shut up. But much as my way, I, I can't let something go. It just shows a complete inability, and I'm going to stick to the communication side here. I'm not going to delve into the policy and the White House writ large, but from a communication perspective, they are, I think, completely incapable of taking a high road. They have no idea how to do it, um, and it's a mark of the of the the narrative again that that they have established that they want. Um, to maintain that they think speaks to their base of, hey, this isn't politics as usual. If we can be like sophomoric and really biting and immature about something, then we're going to go ahead and do it. And that March Madness bracket, I don't know how many people saw it. I don't know how many people can, you know, actually have the attention span to read all 64 different people who got it wrong. But I I'd love to know how much time the White House Communications Office spent putting that crap together for the mere point of of just not taking the high road. It's I think it's reprehensible. It's terrible. Definitely. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for that. Let's move on to uh, subject number two. Justice Smollett was uh, cleared. Uh, all charges dropped. Uh, record expunged. Uh, you are free to go collect the $200. Uh, well, leave the bond, excuse me. Uh, and, and, and keep it moving. So, again, a, a, a drastic turnaround in terms of um, what the American psyche, those people that were paying attention to this, uh, to this story, uh, you know, bubbling up three, four weeks ago, and then yesterday going to a string of, uh, uh, just a string of, of news conferences and uh, the, the Twitterverse uh, being a buzz. Where are we? What do you think about it? Uh, what are your thoughts? Actually, John, I'll start with you on this. Were you paying attention to it yesterday? Uh, I was, and, and I'll be really quick about it. I think from a communications perspective, this is the, the eternal lesson of coordination before communication, of making sure all of the right people are on the CC block and in the two block of an email, that you call the right people, that you coordinate it. That the sheer just stupidity of the prosecutor's office to not coordinate this with all of the other instruments of overt and covert power in this uh, case shows uh, I, it, it, an alarming amount of, of just sh 
of just an ability. Uh, um, so it, they, they had to know and they had to have observed all of the press coverage of this event. And for them to drop the charges without, without coordinating it and coordinating the communication and shaping the message with the Chicago police and with the mayor's office shows, shows real stupidity there. And then it makes me think that maybe they knew that Rahm Emanuel was going to jump all over their shit about this. And maybe they knew that the Chicago police would not be in support of it. And so they just made the clandestine decision to drop the charges and not coordinate with them because they, they didn't want to get into an argument with the powers that be. Well, now they're getting smoked in the media. So it's, it's all about which bad tasting medicine do you want to take and when do you take it? I thought the peacocking by Jesse Smollett after the announcement was made was, again, in poor taste. Um, if I'm Jesse Smollett or if I'm somebody that's advising Jesse Smollett, assuming that uh, rational thought is possible, um, I, I would have told him to uh, keep his mouth shut or to keep it very brief, to simply uh, you know, say, I'm, uh, I'm thankful that this incident is behind me uh, and I look forward to moving on with my life. But to somehow link the dropping of this to social justice and the uh, agenda that he had uh, when this whole thing started, one, seemed like a stretch, and, uh, and two, I don't think helps his brand move beyond all of this. I have to tell you, I saw that yesterday, and my mind started spinning, and I know I, uh, you know, our role in terms of being professional communicators uh, on the show, having extensive backgrounds uh, in communication, in the communication atmosphere, environment, I don't know what's going on. I don't know really what to think about any of this. I watched those press conferences and I'm completely like, eh, I'm going to have to leave that one alone. I mean, I, I just, I don't understand the, the ins and outs of it. It, it left me thoroughly confused and, and, and not wanting, if, if there's a lesson to be learned, it's, there's just some stuff you got to leave alone. Well, I, 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 I wasn't in Chicago. I wasn't there. I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> don't you think that, and, and this is just my personal opinion, but don't you think that it is, it is emblematic of a slow eroding away of the standard quote unquote of of what you expect to see when someone is charged with a crime, when someone gets caught in, in, in a total mess. And, and for that sort of just brash, uh, in, in Chris's words, poor taste, uh, throwing it back at people after the charges were dropped against you. Yeah, you know, it almost makes you wish for the good old days of 1984 when, when Gary Hart gets caught in an extramarital affair and it's a, it's a controversy. Just, just slink away and be quiet and go away forever. But I think you're seeing that this is the advent of people saying, well, you know what? Uh, let, let's just throw it right back at them. And, and the standards continue to go down and down and down. Where whether you're found guilty or not guilty, you can just go right out and say whatever you're going to say and just expect the American public to be like, oh, well, I guess it just keeps getting worse. Well, I mean, I, th I think to, to what you guys are both saying, I mean, some people would say we live in a post-fact world where the facts don't matter and it uh, becomes um, how an issue or a person is, is gaslighted. Um, I mean, you know, both of how the Mueller report was handled after it was, or parts of it were released and 
how Jesse Smollett handled uh, the charges being dropped against him. I think there's a lot of similarity. Uh, so mm-hmm. lots of lessons mm-hmm. to lots of lessons to be learned. I think there's short-term gain in both cases, but the question remains: Will the the long-term injure the brand or injure the support in the case of the president? That that remains to be seen. Again, I just think that that you continue to see as time goes by a secularization almost of the um, of society where people just don't they don't believe in institutions anymore, um, and and that's that's a problem, and it's going to be a communications challenge for institutions in the future. Uh, let, let's keep this ball rolling. Um, just to let our folks listening at home know, uh, Provision Advisors took a little field trip last weekend, and we traveled out to that wonderful city west of the Rockies, full of lights, entertainment, and a buffet you cannot turn away from. That's right, Las Vegas. Uh, took, a little, uh, took a little time to experience March Madness and uh, taste some of the finest wines uh, west of the Mississippi. March Madness. As it turns out, we heard this. It's the largest uh, weekend uh, throughout the entire year even bigger than the Super Bowl, the number of people that travel to that city. So what does that mean uh, for television ratings? Uh, The amount of people that are filling out brackets uh, and paying attention to the NCAA tournament? Well, here it is. Throughout the first 52 games of March Madness, both CBS and Turner Television are averaging 2.99 million viewers and a 1.9 rating. TBS, who also shows games, a slate of 12, averaged 2.31 million viewers, making it Turner's top performer while TNT had about 1.95 million viewers, and True TV is bringing up the rear with 1.22 million. So, in an NCAA tournament where mostly chalk was running the gamut uh, over the first weekend, uh, the only uh, really, really great game, unless uh, you're of the betting public, uh, was obviously the Duke uh, Central Florida game that went to, uh, went to the last second. Most of the games were pretty much over uh, with not much uh, time left to go. So, not much hoopla, but the madness uh, was at an all-time rate. Actually, the second highest since the uh, 1991 stretch, uh, up to 64 games. Gentlemen, what did you think about it? Are you enthused? How are those brackets looking? Chris? So, let me just add a couple more uh, stats to the ones that you gave. I thought that your rundown was was very good. Um, I I follow a site each week called Sports Media Watch, um, and I'll, uh, I'll link that in the in the uh, section below the, the podcast in case people are interested in it. But uh, as you said, uh, this was a multi-year high throughout the weekend. Uh, when you add up actually all the viewers, you went down by each individual network. But if you put all of them together, um, this was a, a high um, that we haven't seen in, in several years. Uh, you mentioned the, the closeness of the Duke game. Uh, Duke's game actually, Duke's Individual games were historically high numbers uh, for, for those uh, two in the first round. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the selection show was the most watched since 2014. And so I think this fits right into what John was saying. I mean, one is is that you, you have some really good teams in the tournament. But I also think it shows that people are ready to kind of take a break. Uh, and I think that was our attitude. I mean, we, we did some business while we were out in Las Vegas, but – Beyond that, I think there was just an enjoyment of kind of uh, watching the games, kind of letting the rest of the craziness of the world fade away uh, and then enjoy the competition throughout the weekend. The, the, the thing that I find pretty interesting, and, and again, I follow some 
Uh, I follow different Twitter accounts and I'm in some text threads with friends. Um, educated, really, you know, really tied in and, and plugged in friends of mine. And, and the, the prevailing thing I saw was this distaste and anger that, that CBS broke in with the update that the Mueller report had been released during one of the games. And, and that's, again, to Chris's point, that when, when that actually irritates people, like, hey, I'd rather watch Oklahoma get smoked by Virginia than, than see an update on the Mueller report, it, that's, that's where America is. But it's good. I, I, I know I come off as Debbie Downer a lot on this stuff, but I love this tournament. As I said a couple of pods ago, this is the golden time of sports. It, it starts with TPC at Sawgrass. It gets into... March Madness, and you have opening day this week. We'll get into that um, as we look out on the horizon. Uh, but it's just a really, really good time from um, from the beginning of March until about uh, you know mid-April to early June um, with the NHL and NFL or NHL and NBA playoffs too. So I thought the tournament went really well. And if I'm executives at CBS. I'm really pumped that all the chalk made it to the Sweet 16 because you've got some glamour matchups out there that'll just, you're going to talk like Game of Thrones level ratings. And, and that really, I mean, that translates into big money for advertising. It turns into uh, big money for gambling, uh, which we'll talk about in the On the Horizon segment. So um, despite, you know, everybody has brackets that are uh, turned inside out, but it, it in in terms of the big teams, John, as you mentioned, with with those teams sticking around, uh, the the brand I think of of March Madness and of the tournament is very strong. Given that people are going to want to tune in this week and this weekend for the Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight, and then the following weekend for the Final Four. Yeah, and, and people love it when George Mason makes the run to the Final Four, VCU a couple of years ago, or Butler that one year. They they love they love those runs, but it, I'm telling you, when you go into like sports stores or Foot Lockers or or the Lids uh, hat store, there aren't there aren't a lot of hats for VCU or George Mason nationwide. You know what hats there are nationwide? Duke, Carolina, Michigan. Um, so it, it it speaks to how powerful those brands are and how well those those institutions have done to, to mark that brand and capitalize on the winning that's taken place. Um, and I, I don't know who that next team will be to join that conversation. I think it has a lot to do with the size of the school, how many graduates they have, um, and, and then how they capitalize on the winning. Uh, but it, it's, it's really a testament to, um, to really how well communications departments do to, to get the word out about their schools and then capitalize on their popularity. Excellent conversation, gentlemen. Top notch, top notch. How about a fresca? Folks, we're gonna be, uh, take a quick break and we'll come back with Deep Dive. You're listening to Three Season of Pod. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. And we're back on Three Season of Pod, and it's time for Deep Dive. All right, folks, we've got a special one for you today. We're going to build upon a topic referenced in our latest provision blog. It's a blog that I took time to write. It's called The Tool Belt. Check it out on our website, www.provisionadvisors.net forward slash blog. 
Now, what we want to discuss is how professional communicators, those of you who might be sharing in this conversation, uh, how we benefit from the tools of our trade. Just like a snowflake, no two communicators are exactly alike, nor do they utilize the same tools at the same time. However, I, wanted, I want you to know we can all benefit from examining the types of tools that we use, uh, when we use them, and how effective we can be when we use them the right way. Now, whether it's crisis communication, branding, or a simple press release, you're going to need to understand one, one thing, timing, avenue of delivery, and audience emotion in order for your message to gain traction, remain there, and always keep your end game at the forefront from start to finish. That's very important. Now, as a crisis response expert, I always keep a handy list of the necessary steps I need to take in order to ensure my success. That list is like the list that my mother would put up on the, uh, up on the kitchen wall, uh, or I'm sorry, on the, uh, on, on the refrigerator whenever we had a snow day and she had to go to work. Here's a list of things that I need you to do all day long when you could be out enjoying the snow. I suggest you sit down with your organization and determine the planning matrix you're gonna to need to develop or enhance in order to achieve a successful outcome when you're faced with it, whether it's an unfortunate turn of events or an adverse news story affecting your organization. This way you can be sure to have your bases covered and follow the plan by the numbers. Remember, as Vince Lombardi said, it's not enough to say practice makes perfect, but in fact, perfect practice makes perfect. We've been in this game a long time, and I think there's people out there that can benefit from the, uh, uh, from the advice that we share on this podcast. We all have our own tool belts, uh, whether we call them an actual tool belt uh, or not, but what are a couple of those things that you have in there that you're going to reach into uh, when, you, when, you really need, uh, when you really need a win? Chris, we'll start with you. Uh, what are some things you can point to? So for me, um, the two things that I, I guess, am, feel the most comfortable and really feel like make a difference um, are, are actually less on the tactical side than, than what you describe in the blog. Mm -hmm. um, one mm -hmm. is, my, um, is the environmental scan. Um, understanding the news environment, understanding um, not just how your particular issue that you're battling with is being uh, communicated and perceived, but how does that stack up against the, um, the, the many other issues that are out there? What is going on in your audience's mind? And, you know, tr using that scan to identify the right time to deliver the message uh, through the best tactic uh, to reach that audience. So having a well-established um, environmental scan as part of your toolkit, I think is very important. The second and linked to it is how do you um, solicit feedback from your audience and from your stakeholders? And then how do you deliver feedback to either your client uh, or the, your boss, um, which we'll kind of use them interchangeable so that they understand what's going on in that environment. I think too many people mm -hmm. only look at the scan or only look at giving feedback based on their own personal experience. And you really have to take yourself out of it. You have to be able to convey what you're seeing and hearing in the environment and make sure that the decision makers, either from a client side or from a senior leader side, see that environment uh, and are able to make decisions based on what's going on in that environment. So I think if you're able to have a strong environmental scan, if you're able to have a strong feedback loop or mechanism along with the, the tactics that you detail in the blog, I think you'll find yourself in a pretty successful position. Excellent. John? 
Um, I'll have one tactically and one strategically. So tactically, I always have um, a really handy, easy to read template one pager of an issue. No matter how complex the scenario is, if it's a plane crash, if it's a, if it's a long investigation, if it's any kind of communications issue, I think a lot of communicators out there make the mistake of thinking that, that senior leaders, flag officers in the Navy, CEOs have time to read like a seven page communication strategy or plan. Um, right. These are the days that, that people only have so much bandwidth for communication. And I think it's, it's incumbent on you, the communicator, to make sure that you are able to distill down the issue itself, the nuances around it, and, and the, what you need to do to communicate it in one page. Uh, a, a theme or two, a message or two, and I'm sure any DINFOS graduates out there cringing like, no, my comp plan that I did in class was 25 pages long. Yeah, for a, for a long-winded, can or long-winded, long, long-spanning uh, 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 campaign, yeah, you can put together an overall strategy that's 20 pages and, and work from that playbook. But I think for any issue, you, you should be able to put in front of someone a one-page summary uh, that shows that you know what you're doing. This is what you recommend doing. This is when you recommend doing it. And these are the, the, the channels or the media that you recommend doing it with internal, external and desired effect and go from there. And then the strategic part of it, and this is something that you can't necessarily put in a playbook, but um, it, it's, it's making sure that all of these things are null and void if you don't have credibility. So you need, as a communicator, no matter where you are in the military or in the civilian sector, you need to impress upon your leadership that you need to be in the room when the tough conversations are taking place. I've seen it in state right. government. I've seen it in the Navy. I've seen it everywhere. Uh, that it, There are a lot of meetings taking place that involve communications issues that the senior leadership would say, no, 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 this, this doesn't involve you. And you need to be able to say, without being annoying, you need to be able to say, no, it does. It absolutely does. And the more that you're involved, the more that you're in at the entry level early and, and your leadership sees that, that you're value added at even these very pedestrian meetings, that's when that one pager is going to have more weight when you hit them with it, when the issue, when the, when the stuff hits the fan. So uh, those are my two pieces of advice with regard to that. Great commentary. Truly appreciate it. Uh, folks, if you want to check out that blog, uh, the tool belt philosophy, again, visit www.provisionadvisors forward slash blog. Stay with us, folks. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Three Seeds in a Pod. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Welcome back to Three C's in a Pod with Provision Advisors. Let's look out on the horizon at what the next week may bring. John, you're up first. Take me out to the ball game. So uh, opening day uh, for, for a lot of us. They don't call it America's pastime for nothing. Uh, you're talking about a very popular sport that runs for six months, 162 games for, for a smaller number of teams, uh, more than 162 games. 
I always have, have loved baseball season as a lifelong and tortured Oriole fan. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. You've got um, an exciting new season. You've got new players and new places. Um, and, and I think it'll be really, really neat to see it play out this year. Uh, the over-under on Orioles victories, uh, 59 and a half. Uh, we'll see how that comes in. Go O's and welcome back baseball. I am always uh, amazed uh, as a baseball fan, um, as somebody that played baseball, as somebody now that coaches baseball uh, for my six-year-old, um, just what a metaphor baseball is for life in America. And uh, John, as you were talking, I brought up um, you know a number of different quotes from famous people relating baseball to life from Babe Ruth, never allow the fear of striking out to keep you from playing the game. I mean, if that isn't advice uh, for for all of life, uh, I don't know what is. And then I'll read one more because this is probably my favorite from Field of Dreams. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled along like an army of steamrollers. It has been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, it's part of our past, Ray. It reminds us all that once was good and that once could be again. This is the best time of the year, uh, whether you're a communicator or just a, a kid at heart like all of us. Indeed. And all I'll say is a shout out to Bingo Long and the traveling all-stars and Motor Kings. Let's play ball, gentlemen. <laughs> Chris, what do you got? From talking baseball at a very high, uh, austere level to uh, – the popular topic of sports gambling. I don't know how many people had an opportunity to watch 60 Minutes this weekend. Uh, I would highly recommend it. We'll put a link in the podcast right up um, because it really captured what we were feeling while we were in Las Vegas. The spread of uh, legalized gambling uh, on sports and what it has done I think to the sports, uh, watching, following, business, communication, all aspects of the sports business been amazing over the last year since uh, the Supreme Court put the decision back to the states to be able to bet on, uh, on sports. According to the 60 Minutes report, by the end of 2019, 15 states will have legalized sports gambling. By the end of 2020, that number will rise to 25. So I'm interested in looking out on the horizon as to what effects it will have on the following, how it will affect the athletes and gamblers and, and their relationship. And, and, you know, that, that relationship is, is not new. We're uh, approaching the hundredth anniversary of the Black Sox scandal. Um, so uh, gamblers have always been involved in sports, but will legalizing gambling change that relationship? Will it make the game more corrupt, less corrupt? And how will technology like, uh, iPhones and iPads and um, all of the like, how will that change the way we, we gamble? Um, I mean, even among our group, we, we had a different way of doing it. Some of us stood in line uh, to place our bets the old fashioned way, quote unquote, uh, others used uh, technology. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how this, uh, how this continues to change the way we watch consume sports, especially because the gambling trends show that those that bet on sports now are younger, wealthier, and better educated. So it's, it's no longer the, the seedy underbelly of, uh, of organized crime. Um, it's, uh, it, it's a different demographic. So John, over to you. Well, I'll, I'll point this audience to the English Premier League um, in Great Britain. So it, 
it, there isn't you know the 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 same sports environment um, in England as there is in the United States. Uh, it, there, there's really only one thing going on in terms of um, professional sports, and that's soccer um, or football in the old language. So, betting on English Premier League soccer or, or any soccer championship level, League One, League Two, the the lower leagues. That has been in place for a long time, so much so that that the that the gambling organizations, that the companies that actually help uh, with the legalized sports betting, are big sponsors on some of these teams' jerseys. You know, look at the West Ham United team, and and right across the front of their jersey is Betway. Um, you know, the best way to bet uh, on soccer. And I don't know if necessarily that's where the rest of our leagues are going. Uh, this year in the NBA, you've, you've seen the first time that uh, jerseys have a sponsor um, in the upper left corner of the, of the tank top jersey. Um, and, and that really could be where we go. Um, so I, I think it'll be, it'll be interesting. And I think that this country could learn a lot from how they do legalized sports gambling in England and how it how it's just a regular part of the English Premier League. Well think about um, just our own experience this weekend and and for others who have bet whether it's on fantasy football or or whatever um, that is now uh, out, out there. I mean you, you now have an opportunity to uh, cheer for your team. You now have an opportunity to uh, follow how that team does in the first half or in the first quarter or in the second half. I mean, it, the, the complexity of how you watch the game has changed so much. Um, and I, I agree with you, John. I, I think that as that complexity continues to, uh, uh, to, to change how people watch uh, and take in sports, I think the, the scourge of the past is going to be washed away. Uh, folks, listen, spring is in the air, if you haven't noticed. Uh, even though your mornings may start off with a little bit of frost on your windows, you're pretty much, uh, uh, while you might be donning a, a jacket uh, to go to work on the way home, uh, you've definitely got those windows down uh, and enjoying some fresh air. So listen, if you find yourself in the Washington, D.C. area, why don't you take a moment and come see the cherry blossoms? Uh, I do believe they're going to, be, uh, going to be budding here very soon. And while you're at it, outside of the DMV, Go visit some of those outstanding national parks across the country. Uh, it's a beautiful world out there, and, I, and we want you to go out, go out and see it. Uh, so listen, get outside, get away from social media for a bit, and experience the world around you. Uh, it'll do you some good. It indeed is a time for renewal, renewal, and like I said, rolling those windows down and, uh, and playing some of your favorite tunes or listening to your favorite podcast. Uh, Three Seeds in a Pod, I hear, is really good. Uh, so check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us here on Three Season of Pod. We always welcome your feedback, so please feel free to leave a comment below. We want to hear from you. And until next week, as always, be good, be safe, and be better. Thank you for listening to Three Season of Pod. Have a great week.